Have you ever wondered what we taste like? Me either. But the subject of today's story certainly did. He wanted to eat people, like really badly. And in 1981, he did it. He ate someone. And because of paperwork, loopholes, and legal BS, he just walked free. And he went on to be kind of famous and never faced any consequences for his actions. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of this really gross jerk, Issei Sagawa, the celebrity cannibal. Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime Podcast. My name is Elise, and my podcast is called What It Is because I have a weekly series on YouTube where I post a time-lapse video of me cleaning my house, while at the same time I tell you about a true crime story. Because I love to listen to true crime while I clean, so in my world, they go hand in hand. But some people find the cleaning footage too distracting, or some people just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. So if that's you, you're in the right place. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast, so... Be sure to check the show notes on each episode for specific trigger warnings. Listener discretion is advised. If you'd like to see the video side of things, I offer the cleaning and crime video, but I also offer the crime-only video version of today's podcast, both on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch instead of just listen, follow the link to my YouTube channel in the podcast show notes. But if you're driving, stay here. Let's get into the story. Big warning here, you guys. (laughs) This story is gross. I'm not going to show any graphic photos of crime scenes, and I will try to avoid going into too much unnecessary graphic detail, but some of it just can't be avoided with a case like this. So if you really don't feel like hearing about cannibalism today, totally get it. I will see you in the next one. But let's start from the very beginning, like I always do. Issei Sagawa, and I heard his name pronounced so many different ways in so many different places, so that's the one I'm going with, please forgive me, was born on April 26th, 1949 in Kobe, Japan, to pretty wealthy parents. It was said that when Issei's mother was pregnant with him, she almost miscarried because she fell down a flight of stairs. When he was born, he was actually born prematurely, and the doctors didn't think he was going to survive. And apparently, he was so small when he was born that he could fit into the palm of his father's hand. Then as a baby, he developed enteritis, which is a disease of the small intestine, and Issei was given a round of injections of potassium and calcium mixed in saline. And he did recover from the enteritis, but afterwards he remained very fragile and frail and small for the rest of his life. Like fully grown Issei topped out at like four foot nine inches. Because he was very frail and also very introverted, he really reverted into books as a child. And he became very interested in literature, and he was really smart. Issei said his childhood was great, happy, loving, raised in nature, he said, and his parents loved him very much. Normal, good, great. When Issei was in first grade, he experienced his first cannibalistic thought in first grade. He was at school and the kids were playing and he saw a classmate who happened to be wearing shorts. And I guess Issei saw this boy's thigh and thought to himself, "Mm, that looks delicious. I'd like to take a bite of that. I'm no expert, but I find those thoughts to be abnormal for a first grader, or or for anyone for that matter. So Issei's parents were very traditional and reserved, and Issei said that his family never discussed very personal things or any sexual things at all, and he never remembered his parents even uttering the word sex. It was very taboo, and he never received any kind of sexual education. 
So he said that when he reached a certain age and he got his first erection, he panicked and he thought he was sick. He thought he was dying. He said he was very embarrassed and very confused and he didn't know how to handle that situation. So because of his lack of knowledge, he said that he resorted to doing strange things like having the family dog lick him. Why you got to bring the dog into this, man? And again, this was like when he was like seven years old. So this is when he says his sexual urges and desires started to distort. And he started to have cannibalistic thoughts every time he saw an attractive girl. When he interacted with the girls at school that he found attractive, he was very shy, very nervous, trembling, and he felt like he was going to barf when he approached them. And whenever Issei saw a beautiful leg coming out of a skirt, he thought to himself, mm, I need to eat that flesh. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. As a child, Issei loved the story of Hansel and Gretel because the kids get eaten. And also, he got a huge thrill from a game that his uncle used to play with him and his brother. And he would dress up like a monster and chase the boys around like he was going to eat them. And then at the end of the game, he would catch the boys and put them into his big soup pot and cook them and eat them. It was just very thrilling for Issei. It was his favorite game. Great family fun. Now, as Issei grew older, he developed a type. Tall, beautiful European women. Issei himself thinks, in his opinion, he focused his dark cannibalistic thoughts on these tall, strong, beautiful Western women because he himself viewed himself as unattractive, small, and weak, and he was trying to steal or harness their energy by eating them. I don't, I don't know. He just wanted a piece of that, you know, literally. Issei described his desire to eat human flesh as a sexual attraction, like like a fetish almost. And he just did not understand that there were other people walking around in the world that did not have an urge to take a bite of the person sitting next to them on the bus. He was like, how can you not want to? I don't know, man. I don't want to. Now, despite wanting to eat people like really badly and thinking about it all the time, he was a smart cookie. He knew it wasn't allowed, <laughs> appropriate to eat people. You know? So when he was 15, he actually sought out a psychiatrist. But I guess the psychiatrist would not allow Issei to conduct his appointments over the phone. He was like, yeah, no, I definitely am going to need to see you in person to evaluate you. And Issei was too embarrassed to talk about these things in person. And so that means Issei found psychiatry to be unhelpful. And he just abandoned it and decided it wasn't for him. And he worked on his own to suppress his desires until he couldn't anymore. At the age of 24, while at university in Tokyo, Issei saw a woman he simply could not resist. A tall, beautiful German blonde woman was walking down the sidewalk, and he was struck by her beautiful white thighs. Yuck, I hated saying that. I hated saying that. <laughs> so he stalked this woman, followed her home, and he found out, oh my gosh, she lives in the same apartment complex as my grandmother. So I'm very familiar with the building. He found out she lives on a ground floor apartment and she likes to sleep with her windows open. So Issei decides, you know what? I'm going to break in. So he waits until nighttime and he ends up breaking into this woman's apartment through her open bedroom window while she's asleep. And when he gets in there, he realizes she is sleeping in the nude. Issei is so excited. He's like, okay, this is my plan. I'm going to hit her in the head and knock her out with this umbrella. And when she's knocked out, I'm going to go into the kitchen and I'm going to get a knife and I'm going to cut her butt. 
Now, just to be clear, Issei did not want to kill her. That was not what this was about. He just wanted to take a piece of her butt and take it home and eat it. No, dude. No. Now, I guess Issei was just like standing there, creeping over her, like planning his next move. And I guess he got a little too close and brushed up against her. And she woke up right away. And she looks up and there's this freaking creepy dude creeping over her. Now, look, Issei was like four foot nine. So this tall, strong, beautiful German woman kind of whooped his ass a little bit. And she knocked him to the ground like it was nothing. Breaking up my house? The fuck you doing? So she humbled him quickly and he just like scurried off and she called the cops. So cops get there and she tells them this creepy guy broke into my house while I was sleeping and tried to rape me. Police track Issei down pretty quickly and they arrest him and they're like, is this true? Did you try to rape this woman? And he was like, yes. Yep. That's what I was doing. Because what? what's he going to say? Like, oh, no, no, not that. I was just trying to take a piece of her butt to eat it. You can't say that. You can't say that. So Issei was taken into custody and he was charged with the break-in and the attempted sexual assault, even though those were not his actual intentions, like we know. But, but Issei's father, he was a wealthy man and he knew people. So he ended up paying a settlement to this woman and he paid her off to drop the charges. So Issei did not face any consequences for the break-in and the attempted sexual assault. Excellent. So Issei graduated college and he went on to get his master's degree in English literature. But then in 1977, at the age of 27, Issei moved to France to study comparative literature and get his PhD at the Sorbonne in Paris. Smart cookie. Smart, disgusting cookie. So while he's in Paris, he's away from his family, away from his friends. He doesn't know anybody. And he had suppressed his desires to eat human flesh for long enough. Issei said that he had an obsession with cannibalism. And obviously he did have a desire to eat a woman while he was living in Tokyo. But he said that once he moved to Paris, that obsession turned into an obligation. That's what he said. So Issei began bringing sex workers home with him almost every night when he was living in Paris with the intention that he was going to kill them and then eat them. But every time he would get his pew pew, get it ready, take aim, but his fingers would freeze up and he would be unable to pull the trigger. So he was he was never able to go through with it. Thank goodness. Now, Issei was thinking that when he finished his PhD, he was thinking he might want to go live in Greece afterwards. He's like, Greece sounds great. So to scope it out, make sure he liked it, he took a cruise to Greece. While on this cruise, Issei met this guy, this heavy set jolly man, and he sat next to him and his wife on the cruise ship at dinner. So while they're sitting at dinner, they're chatting, and Issei finds out that this guy is actually a butcher by trade. And Issei was like, oh my God. That's fascinating. You know, I was thinking about becoming a butcher. Tell me all about it. How do you butcher meat? So this guy was like, oh my God, so flattered that you're so interested in my job. And he told Issei everything, everything you need to know about butchering an animal. Basically gave him a crash course in butchering meat. So Issei was just stockpiling this information in the back of his brain just in case he needs to cut anything up later in the future. So after the cruise, Issei goes back to Paris. He's getting his PhD, blah, blah, blah. And he meets this 25-year-old Dutch woman named Renee Hardevelt. 
And she's a classmate of his at Sorbonne. Did I say that right? Sorbonne? It's famous, but I'm really bad at French. Anyway, Issei gets the hots for Renee. She is this tall, hot, blonde Dutch woman. She is stunning. She's smart. She's independent. She speaks three languages. And she's there getting her PhD in French literature. So Issei sits next to Renee in class and he just cannot stop staring at her. And he was admiring the white skin on her arms. And Issei knew he could not fuck this up like he did with the German woman in Tokyo. He couldn't just jump into this woman's window. He needed to play the long game. So Issei decides to lie to Renee and he tells her, hey, so I know that you speak German and my professor has given me this extra German poetry project. And I was really hoping that you could help me and tutor me. My father is very wealthy and we could pay you really, really well. Obviously, she is a broke, starving college student getting her PhD, so she quickly accepted the offer. So Renee starts tutoring Issei, and she actually grew to kind of like him. Not in a romantic way, but she liked that he was incredibly intelligent. And they had really good, stimulating conversations. They could talk about anything from Impressionist paintings, to Shakespeare, to English literature, to German poetry. So she was happy to help him and tutor him, and she was just nice to him. She would invite him over to her apartment for tea and they would study together. Issei invited her to concerts and to exhibits. Then he started writing Renee love letters and poetry. But all the while, Renee was just thinking, you know, we're colleagues, we're classmates, we're friends. Maybe he has a little bit of a crush on her, but she didn't think that he was in love with her or obsessed with her or thinking about eating her. Didn't cross her mind. One day, Issei invited Renee over for dinner, and he asked her to read aloud a poem by his favorite German expressionist. And she was like, sure, absolutely. It's kind of my job. So so she starts reading the poem out loud, and Issei is just kind of walking around the apartment, listening to her read, and he sneaks over to his hiding place where he keeps his 22 caliber rifle that he keeps for self-protection. So he's standing behind Renee while she's reading this poem, and he takes this rifle, points it at the back of her head, and pulls the trigger and click. The rifle misfires. Issei was like, oh, shit. But either Renee didn't hear it or just didn't recognize the noise because she didn't turn around. She just kept reading. So Issei just snuck the rifle back where it was and just like aborted the mission. Now, after Renee left, I guess Issei sniffed and licked the spot where Renee had been sitting. And he was like, I absolutely cannot fuck this up again. I have to get it just right next time. <laughs> so Issei reaches out to Renee again. And he was like, hey, I loved the way you read that poem. And I actually would love it if I could have you over again and record you reading it so that I could listen to it over and over again for practice, for studying, right? So Renee agrees to come over for dinner on the night of June 11th, 1981. They eat and then they're sitting on the floor together having tea. But Renee's tea was secretly spiked with a little bit of whiskey. Issei was hoping to loosen her up a little bit. So they're chatting. Issei's waiting for the whiskey to kick in. And then when he couldn't wait anymore, Issei confessed his love for Renee and said that he wanted to take her to bed. You know, to do her. Like right now. Renee was like, oh, that, oh, uh, that's so sweet. You know, I don't feel the same way. I, I love you as a friend. I'm so happy to tutor you and spend time with you and drink tea with you and talk literature with you, but not, I'm not, um, I'm not going to 
do you? So no, thank you. Issei was obviously super bummed and just nodded and said, you know, forget I said anything. Let's just, let's just read the poem and I'll, I'll record it. Let's just go back to, <laughs> let's pretend that didn't happen. So he sets her up at his desk, sitting in a chair, and he sets up the tape recorder and starts recording. And Renee gets the poem and she starts reading. And Issei is behind her and goes back to his hiding spot where he keeps that twenty-two caliber rifle. He sneaks up behind her, points the rifle at her again, and shoots and hits her in the back of the neck. I guess at first Renee kept talking like a couple of words, and then she slumped over and fell onto the ground, taking the chair with her. And Issei kept talking to her after she fell, like, you okay? Until he realized there was a lot of blood coming from the wound. He was so shocked that he had done it and that there was so much blood that he fainted. So when Issei first comes to, he panics at first and was like, oh my God, I should call an ambulance. But then he pulls himself together. He's like, you've come this far. Don't be stupid. You've been dreaming about this for 32 years. Okay, so now I'm going to talk about really awful, terrible, gruesome stuff. There are crime scene photos out there that I will not be showing, but they are easily Googleable. But I will leave that up to those of you that want to seek them out on your own. You sicko. I'm just kidding. But no, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be the one to force it upon you. But yeah, uh, really graphic descriptions of what happened next is starting now. So if you don't want to hear that, skip ahead about a minute or I'll put the amount of time that you should skip on the screen. All right. So this is all really gross and awful. So the first thing that Issei did was undress Renee, which he found incredibly difficult to undress a dead body. Once he had her undressed, he decided he wanted to take his first bite. So he chose her right butt cheek and he chose the right over the left because he said the left would be too close to the heart and he didn't want there to be too much blood because he was afraid of blood, which it didn't occur to me that somebody that was obsessed with cannibalism would be afraid of blood. That, okay. So he tried to bite her butt, but he couldn't because he's not a tiger. His teeth were not sharp enough to bite through her skin. So he went into the kitchen and he got a paring knife, but it wasn't super sharp and it wasn't big enough for what he needed. Some sources actually said it was a butter knife, but that doesn't matter. The point is the knife he had did not work. So he left. He left and went to the store and bought a curved meat carving knife. And when Issei came back from the store, he had his new knife and he cut into her right butt cheek. He was expecting to just see red meat. But instead, he saw what he later found out was fat cells. And he said he was shocked at the bright yellow color and how it looked like corn. (gasps) Now, it took him a while to get down to the red meat, but once he did, he decided to just tear a chunk off with his fingers and he popped it right in his mouth. He said it was a truly historical moment for him and that it melted in his mouth like raw tuna from a sushi restaurant. He then told Renee that nothing was more delicious and he told her that he loved her. Dude, no. That's the most fucked up shit. Then he cut off the tip of her breast and the tip of her nose and plopped those in his mouth too. So he's done it. At this point, he's eaten human flesh. It's happened. And at that point, he became excited. So he engaged in some sexual relations with Renee's body. Because he said he now felt like he owned her and that she could no longer reject him. Dude, what a sick fucker. So now it was time to get down to business. 
and he started carving the body into portions and separating them onto many paper plates, using the tips and tricks that he learned from his butcher friend on that cruise. So he started out with that curved meat carving knife, but then he ended up switching to an electric carving knife, like it's fucking Thanksgiving. As he carved, he ate a few more pieces raw here and there, and he would take breaks to go get creative in the kitchen. He fried some flesh and ate it with mustard, for example. He also baked her breast in the oven, but didn't like it because it was too greasy. I don't like saying this out loud, okay? His favorite part was the thigh. As he cooked, he was listening to the recording of Renee reading that poem. And when he was done eating for the day, he used her underwear as a napkin. Dude, no. No. He also took photos along the way to remember it all by, because of course he did. When he was totally exhausted and he had done all that he could for the day, he took Renee's mutilated body and brought it to bed with him because he knew it was going to start to decompose throughout the night. And in the morning, it was all going to be over. So he wanted to spend as much time with her as possible, I guess. So he had sexual relations with the body again and then slept next to Renee's body in his bed. When he woke up, he was expecting flies or an odor, but he was shocked to see that it was still in really great shape. So he decided to cut off and eat some more. Ugh. Like removing her arm and gnawing on it from armpit to elbow. He also watched himself in the mirror eating Renee's tongue. By the end of day two, the flies arrived and it was all over. He had a bunch of meat in the fridge and he knew it was time to dispose of the rest of the body so it wouldn't decompose in his apartment. So he got two large travel suitcases and he used a hatchet to chop her into smaller pieces so they would fit in the suitcases for disposal. But he got excited halfway through and stopped and took a break for a bit more necrophilia. Then he wrapped the pieces in bed sheets and put them into the suitcases. And when he picked up her head, he said he held it by the hair and he looked at it. And in that moment, he said, oh, my God, I'm a cannibal. Really? Then? That's when you, that's when you had that? Okay. Whew, that was awful. I'm so sorry. That's the gist of it. There, there's a lot more, but I don't desire to go into any more detail than I already did. I think that's enough. He did some fucked up shit. Really fucked up shit. Moving on. So Issei really had this lake in mind. He really wanted to dispose of the rest of Renee's body parts in this lake at the Bois de Boulogne Park. I'm really bad at French. Was that? I hope that was okay. So he couldn't get that lake out of his mind and he wanted to go there. So he called a cab because he couldn't walk there with those heavy suitcases and... He didn't have a car, so we called a cab. So the cabbie shows up, and Issei carries these giant suitcases out to the cab. And the cab driver is helping Issei put these giant suitcases into the trunk, and they were really heavy, and the cabbie even made a joke that was like, boy, these are heavy. What do you got, a dead body in here? And Issei was like, ha, 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 No, they are full of books, because I am a PhD student, so I need a lot of books. So Issei gets to the park around 8 p.m., but he forgot it's summer. So it's not even dark out. And there are literally people still in the park, like sunbathing and playing with frisbees and shit. 
And he gets out of this cab with these two giant suitcases and he's struggling, pulling them over to the lake. And everyone's just staring at him like, who the fuck is this guy? And he's, you know, he's a really small guy and he's really struggling and he pulls the suitcases to more of an isolated area where there weren't so many people. And he's trying to pull the suitcases down a slope to get down to the lake. But it's exhausting. So he needs to stop and take a break, catch his breath. And he takes a few steps away from the suitcases and he realizes the sun is setting and it's so beautiful and everything is red. And he just stands there admiring the beautiful sunset. Dude. So as he's enjoying the beautiful view, he doesn't realize that there's some strange dude eyeing the suitcases. And the guy walks up to the suitcases and then Issei hears, hey man, these are your suitcases? And Issei looks over and this guy is like kind of starting to open them. So he was like, nope. Not mine. And just turned around and walked off. In hindsight, he thought, I probably could have said yes and the man would have left. But he panicked and he just said, no, they weren't his and left. As he's walking away, he hears the man open the suitcases and then start yelling, murderer! Because when he opened up the suitcases, he saw bloody bedsheets and body parts. And Issei was just like, and like walks home. So he gets home to his apartment and for the next two days continued to eat Horrible, disgusting meals made from the meat in his fridge. Obviously, the people at the park called the police. And the cops start trying to trace the original buyer of the suitcases. But also, witnesses said they saw a small Japanese man get out of a cab with two very large suitcases, and it seemed suspicious. So police started calling every cab driver in the city to ask, hey, did you have a fare that maybe had two really, really heavy, big suitcases? And Issei's cab driver remembered and said, oh yeah, my fare had two big suitcases. He said they were full of books. So Issei was quickly tracked down and he was arrested four days after he killed Renee. So two days after he dropped the suitcases. And as soon as police got to his apartment with a warrant, he just blurted out, I killed her to eat her flesh. Okay. They searched his apartment and obviously found everything. Case closed, right? So Issei was locked up for about two years while awaiting trial. So at least he did some time in jail. Issei's wealthy father came to his aid again and hired a pretty fancy lawyer for his defense. But Issei ended up being interrogated by three psychiatrists and they declared him legally insane. And the French judge on his case found him unfit to stand trial and ordered Issei held indefinitely in a mental institution. Now, the story got out in the news, obviously, and there was a bunch of news articles about the murder. And then a Japanese author, Inuhiko Yomota, went to visit Issei in the mental institution, and he got the entire account of what happened, and he wrote the story and published it in Japan under the name Into the Fog, which became a goddamn bestseller. Suddenly, Issei Sagawa is this infamous cannibal and the people of france were pissed here's this guy that's not even french he's just getting his phd there and the french people are footing the bill for this guy to live forever in a mental institution and they also didn't want the bad press they didn't want him to be known as like the french cannibal you know so everyone starts causing a ruckus and the french government says you know what we'll deport him 
We'll drop the case, we'll drop the charges, and we'll deport him. We'll deport him back to Japan. We wipe our hands of this. Now, Issei himself gave that account, that France got mad about footing the bill and they deported him. I also read some sources that said that Issei's father paid a bunch of money and struck up some sort of deal to make sure that Issei would get deported back to Japan and be sent to a very specific mental institution in Japan. But either way, Issei is sent back to Japan and immediately sent to the Matsuzawa Mental Health Institution in Japan. He's examined thoroughly for 15 months, but the doctors there declare him sane, but evil. And they decided he just had a personality disorder and that sexual perversion was his sole motivator for the murder. So the doctors say, yeah, he's sane and he can stand trial. We wipe our hands of this. But because France had dropped the charges and sealed all of the paperwork, Japan didn't have the proper documentation or evidence to charge Issei. So since the Japanese government had no case, they couldn't go forward with a criminal trial. So on August 12th, 1986, Issei just checked himself out of the mental institution. And he was just free as a bird for the rest of his life after killing a woman and eating her. So what did Issei do with his freedom? He profited from his horrific crime. When he first got out, he had no job, no income. And then suddenly a magazine reached out to him and wanted him to write an article for the magazine about his experience, the incident. And the economy in Japan was really good at that time. And so they were able to offer him a stupid amount of money. So he wrote that article, which then led to him writing a book. So then he had a publisher and he ended up writing 20 books, including comics and graphic novels all about the murder. And one book in particular got the publisher in a bunch of hot water because Issei translated his psychiatric records and used that in the book, which included the crime scene photos. So the really, really graphic crime scene photos of Renee's mutilated body ended up in this freaking book. And that shit should not have been allowed. That should not have been printed in a book. Like, can you imagine being Renee's family and the man that murdered and ate your daughter is getting a bunch of money off of this book that has photos of your daughter's but Come on. That is so awful. That is so awful. What a piece of shit. And a big middle finger to that publisher. Then Issei was approached by a filmmaker and he told Issei, I want to make a video about you. And I guess Issei, since he needed the money, he signed up without even realizing what the video was going to be. And they made him do really weird shit. It was like this exploitation film and they would test his strength while insulting him. And they filmed him eating and eating raw meat. They reenacted Little Red Riding Hood with Issei dressed as the wolf. And then once Issei had that film under his belt, he got a bunch of offers to make pornographic films. And he made some pornographic movies that were like using him as a gimmick where he would like bite the other actors or eat raw meat on camera. Super fucking weird. He made this one pornographic movie where it was almost like a reality show type thing where he spent 24 hours with a woman where they engaged in sexual activity. And then after they had sex, he told her about his crimes and like showed her the book with all the crime scene photos. And she didn't know who he was before she signed up for that film. And she thought he was just an author. She was completely shocked, obviously. And after filming, she was crying and very disturbed. But I guess she felt bad for him or something and thought she could help him. 
because the two actually became very close friends, like in real life. And Issei said that because of her and her friendship, his twisted desires toward women changed. Issei also painted many portraits, usually of naked women. And he had an agent and he sold his paintings internationally. And he also wrote restaurant reviews for a Japanese magazine called Spa. Food critic, huh? Okay. So basically, he used his horrific crime to achieve some sort of notoriety or infamy or whatever you want to call it. And he profited from it. And he was only behind bars or in a mental institution for like a couple of years total. That is egregious. It's also worth mentioning that Issei actually wrote a thank you letter to the butcher he met on the cruise. Like, hey man, thanks for teaching me all about butchering meat. I couldn't have done it without you, buddy. Can you imagine getting that fucking letter? (gasps) I would have felt so horrible. Like, I thought he was interested in my job. I taught him how to cut somebody up. In 2011, Issei did an interview with Vice. And you can watch it on YouTube. And I have it linked in the description box, but mostly because I used it as a source. I'm not saying I recommend that you watch it. But it has like 19 million views. He tells his life story and he tells all about the murder in his own words. And it's it's very disturbing. It's very graphic. They show the crime scene photos and he describes the crime like he's talking about how he went to the grocery store yesterday. It's awful. So there's your warning. I don't recommend watching it. He is just so gross. In 2013, Issei suffered from a cerebral infarction. And after that, he was confined to a wheelchair. He was living with his brother and he needed round-the-clock care from nurses and from his brother. In 2015, he suffered from two heart attacks. In 2018, French filmmakers went to Issei's brother's house and interviewed the two of them together. And his brother asked, as your brother, could you eat me? And Issei just sat there silently with an empty stare. Issei did say that when he thought about dying, it was his dream to die being tortured by a beautiful woman, slowly and painfully. However, that is not how he died. He didn't get his wish. He died at a hospital in Tokyo on November 24th, 2022 from complications from pneumonia. He was 73. Bye, bitch. He should have died in jail. He should have spent his entire life in jail or in a mental institution. But instead, he became an infamous, flesh-eating porn star. And that is just fucked up. Very strange and sad and gross. And that is the end of today's true crime story. I'm really sorry. I hope you didn't like it. The Issei Sagawa story is one that has always stuck with me since I've heard it. Mostly because he didn't even freaking get punished. And he made money off of the crime. It just fills me with rage. And I feel so badly for Renee and for Renee's family. Not only did the family have to deal with the loss, but then they had to deal with their daughter's killer becoming this infamous weirdo and knowing that he made money off of it and didn't get punished. But he's dead now. So there's that. Anyway, that is it for today's story. Thank you so much for listening to Cleaning in Crime. If you'd like more content from me or if you want to see any of the video versions of today's story, check me out on YouTube or on TikTok or follow me on my socials, all of which are under the same name, C. Elise. If you have any questions or case ideas to share, email me at cEliseclean at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available Sources are included in the show notes. 
All parties discussed are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time.